understand God's existence. It's written to help us understand why God loves us and why God has given us the gift of salvation. And so this book is very foundational in our understanding of sin and our need for salvation. Um, There we go. We are looking in this first chapter, and uh, we will uh, in the second chapter as well, at the characters involved. We have God as creator. Um, God is a creator of, of all things in this. He speaks the worlds into existence. We have animals as a living creation. We have man as a sentient creation, distinct from all other creation, as a living soul. Um, Man was breathed into his nostrils by God, the breath of life. And uh, he was created in the image of God. And so man is set apart from all the rest of creation. Um, God's action in this, and I think it's important as well that we understand what God is doing. He's establishing the foundations for life to exist in creation in a way that will sustain his intent, purpose, and glory. Now, you want to think about that because uh, the, the incredible thing about this is the, the power of God's creation. When you think about the fact that this earth has been around for some 10,000 years, and we'll talk about that hopefully this evening, um, but it's been around for some 10,000 years, and it has been impacted by sin. Isn't it amazing to think about the power and the goodness of God's capability to create? And, and you get to Genesis 6, um, and you find the description of man after about 1,500 years, and you find that man is described as his thoughts being only evil continually. It was a wicked earth. And isn't it amazing that sin has existed all of these thousands of years, and yet God's earth that he created, he deemed as good, even though it's been affected and tainted by sin, it is still sustaining itself. That's amazing. That is absolutely incredible. In fact, we don't have to worry. Uh, some people worry about doomsday and the earth you know, falling apart and coming to an end. Who is going to destroy the earth? Man is not going to destroy the earth. Who's going to destroy the earth? God is. It's going to be wiped away, and there's going to be a new heaven and new earth. And so we, we don't have to, to walk around worrying about uh, somebody making you know, end-of-days pre predictions and the world's going to blow up and the world's going to get uh, obliterated by, by, uh, by uh, nuclear war and... Um, you know, could a, a nuke be used? Yeah, probably. But again, we know that God is going to destroy the earth. Um, and so let's rest in a sovereign and powerful God. Um, God's character and person, as we were looking at this, we see a God of order, uh, the order of creation, um, and a God of purpose. He carried out his design with purpose. There, there was a reason for everything. Um, we may not completely understand all of creation. Um, I, I thought about finding objects and bringing objects in here just to see if we could identify what their purpose was. Have you ever done that? You ever seen pictures of weird objects or weird inventions? And they ask, what was this made for? 
um, and you know you, you're trying to figure out what what that 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 object was made for. It has an intent and purpose, right? God created everything with purpose. There's a reason, there's an intent behind it, and He's going to support that creation. We talked about the order of creation, and uh, I, I saved you the, uh, the worry and the sweat. I thought about asking if you can name out loud the order of creation since we talked about it last week. But I was like, you know, I'm just going to put the pictures up there and uh, give them an easy Sunday evening, all right? Because it's still kind of dark outside and, and we come in a little tired and, and, and weary. But uh, day one, what did he do? He separated, uh, he made a, a day and night uh, separated light from darkness. Then he separated the waters from the heavens. Day three, separated the waters from the earth and put the, the uh, green foliage on the earth. Uh, day four, um, he created the moon and the stars and the sun. Day five, the fowl of the air and the uh, creatures of the sea. And then day six, the animals, uh, all that walked on the land and created man uh, in his image. And uh, so there is an order to that. In fact, I like it lined up like this because you see the parallels in there, the parallels that, that are, are part of those days of creation. Now, if you were uh, really paying attention, there's a question that you want to ask me. And uh, I, as I take the chart off, were, were you paying attention to the chart or were you kind of off an autopilot? Is there a question that you really want to ask me about one of the days of creation? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> Anybody think about it? Do you want me to show it to you again? Let you think about it? Because I, I will address this. The sun, sun being created after what? With the plant life. That's a good question, isn't it? Aren't you glad Eric was here tonight to ask that question? We'll, we'll look at it here in, in a little bit. Um, but God created that plant life, and, and you're going, wait a second, he created the sun on the fourth day. All right, we'll, we'll look at that in a minute, all right? Um, God's character in person. He's a God of example. Um, we looked at uh, the fact that he's creating a work week. Uh, that Sabbath rest principle is beginning to be incorporated. A work ethic. We look at what he does, and what does he proclaim? It's good. What God does is always right and good. Uh, that's hard for us to say sometimes, isn't it? It's hard for us to, to, to look at life sometimes and, and see what God allows into our life and say it is right and good, but we're reminded, what does James tell us? Every good gift and perfect gift that cometh from above, it comes from the Father of lights. It's right and good from God. And He's got a purpose for it in our life. A God who is a good manager. He gave creation and man their purpose and gave them the ability and space to do it. Created the earth, He set the garden in place, He gave man His responsibility, and He gave him the freedom to carry it out. Uh, what a wonderful God we see in this, a God who cares intimately about man. And what a wonderful thought in that, that of all God's creation, man is the only one formed by the hand of God out of the dust of the ground and breathed into us the breath of life. 
Wow. Wow. What a, a wonderful, wonderful thought. We're God's crowning creation. He loves us. He is intimately interested in, in each of our lives. He knows all the details. He knows how many hairs are on your head right now, and He knows how many fell out in the shower this morning. He even knows when they're all going to fall out, if they will. But our God knows us that well. He loves us that much. And so we come to the foundations that are, are established here in this first chapter. And, and I want to look at this. We're going to look at, at several things as we go through this. But, but look at, at verse 3 in chapter 1. Um, and God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light, or the light, that it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness, and God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, and the evening and the morning were the first day. And so what do we have God establishing here? We have him establishing time. Um, we are a linear, temporal people, right? We, we, we don't exist in eternity at least at, at this point in our existence. Now, there is coming a day when Jesus comes and returns and, and we go through the end times. There's going to come a day where time will cease and we will simply be in eternity. But right now, we live in a temporal space, a linear space. Hours, days, weeks, seconds, minutes, right? Um, and so God is establishing within this the days and the weeks. And, and I, I believe that as we look at this, it's just simply that simple. He's explaining where time came from. He's explaining where the days came from. Um, and it's, it's interesting as you look at this, these words, evening and morning, the, 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 it marks two events. It's, it's simply the end points of nighttime. That's what evening and morning are describing. And then we have that word day. We have the word day there, uh, the Hebrew word yom. And that's a unit of time reckoned from sunset to the next sunset, including two segments, morning and evening. Now, this, this word is a debated word. We'll, we'll deal with this in, in just a, a little bit. But it is used just over 80% of the time to refer to 24 hours. All right, so almost all of the time in the Old Testament, uh, I believe when we read the figures, I think it's somewhere 1,800 times out of 2,200 times, it refers to a 24-hour period, uh, one day. I think that uh, it's important as well that we notice the attachment of evening and morning to that word day. All right, what is evening and morning doing? It's defining what that word day is. And the, the uh, Hebrew word Ereb, evening, 
never means anything else. In the entire Old Testament, all the Hebrew in the Old Testament where this word is used, it never means anything other than evening. All right? And then the word boker for morning. Uh, 208 of 209 times that this is used, it means literally morning. All right, that's what it's referring to. And so I think it's important that, that as we look at this, as we're understanding the foundations that God is establishing, He's establishing for us that, that there are 24 hours in a day. All right, we only have so much time in a day, don't we? Uh, it, it's amazing when you hear some people say who are, who are too busy, you know, what, what would be the greatest thing for it? Can, can you give me 26 hours in the day? No. All we have is 24. The truth is, when we, when we look at our linear existence, what does the psalmist say? Three score and ten is a good life. So if you're here tonight and you're over 70, praise the Lord, clap your hands. God has been good to you. You've gotten over what is the good amount of years. You're beyond your three score and ten. And so praise the Lord for every moment beyond that. And, uh, but, but it's a linear thing. We are, we, we're going to begin existence and we're going to end our existence at some point. Ecclesiastes describes that well, doesn't it, in chapter 3? To everything there is a time, a purpose, a season under heaven. And boy, you can go through all those first 11 and 12 verses and you see that, that things, they, they begin and they end. There's a cycle that happens. And so God is establishing days and weeks. We also see that we have to ask this question, what is God establishing? He's establishing a measure of time. We're all linear creatures. He's establishing a work and rest pattern. Look at chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Uh, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God ended his work, which he had made, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had made. And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because that in it he had rested from all his work, which God created and made. We, we have a God who establishes a day, he establishes a week, and he establishes a time where we take rest. Now that is hard for us in our society. And the amazing thing about it is when you consider let me just spin your mind a little bit here. When the early church met, now if you've listened closely over the past preaching, you'll, you'll be able to answer this. When the early church met, they met on the Lord's Day. When did they meet on the Lord's Day? At what point in the Lord's Day did they meet? I know. Why? I'll give you the verse, but why? Why would they meet in the evening? Why 
Yeah. Yeah, practical. Somebody's somebody's speaking up. I heard somebody kind of. It was a work day, right? When was Sabbath? When was Sabbath? It began Friday evening, sunset, and went to sunset Saturday evening, right? Sunday was the first day of the week. It was a work day. Think about it. All right? Now, you know, and, and that kind of gives some light. I, I, I wonder how hard Eutychus was working the day that Paul was preaching and he fell out of the window and died and Paul brought him back to life. Um, kind of some evidence that, that it, their late night meetings uh, were because they had a full work day before they came to church. But the, the six-day work week was that was part of Jewish society. In fact, that was part of, of all of society until more recent years in human history. And so isn't it amazing that when we go to a five-day work week, and now they're talking about a four-day work week, isn't it amazing how busy we still are when you think about it and that people still don't get rest? Isn't it amazing how we can go on vacation and we come back from vacation needing a vacation from our vacation? Why is that? Because we, we just, we tend to fill our schedule with everything. There's, there's, there's no downtime in it. And, and you know, I, I have to work on this just as much as you do. But, but we need that downtime. We need that time of rest. God understood His creation, even in its perfection. God set a pattern of rest. Rest is important. One of the things I, I made a goal for 2023 and, and into 2024 is that, that my sleep time be appropriate. And I'm tracking it on my iPhone and my health app and, and my, my watch tracks my sleep at night so that I know that I'm meeting my goals. Why? Because if we don't get rest, what begins to happen? We begin to fall apart, don't we? And so rest is a very important principle that God is establishing here. It's important for us to have time away. Think about when Jesus was on earth. Jesus was perfect and sinless. Yet what did Jesus do many times? After heavy ministry, what would he do? He would set himself apart. And he would go and he would fellowship with the Father and he would get some rest. Jesus worked hard. I mean, you, you think about this you got to be working pretty hard in ministry if you can be asleep in the bow of a boat. And, I mean, if you've ever seen those, those boats that they had on the Sea of Galilee, they weren't a cruise ship, okay? They didn't have all kinds of stabilizers in them. Um, they may have been 20 to 30 foot long maximum. And here is Jesus in the midst of a storm sleeping away, resting peacefully. And so rest is important. It is important that we take those times. And uh, it's important that, that we, we plan those times out. 
Um, I know there are times where it gets busy. I, I worked in a job when, when I was in college, and uh, at the end of the year, uh, we would have end-of-the-year deadlines where stuff had to ship out before the 31st of December, and, and there were some work weeks where 30 hours or, or, or 35 hours came in in the span of two days um, because we were there 35 hours straight. Um, and, and I know there are times where we have, uh, have that kind of heavy load, but it's so important for us to find time apart, to find time for rest. And let me encourage you, you take a vacation, enjoy fun things, all right? A um, lot of people, I, you know, I see a lot of, of uh, pictures of people going to, uh, to Disney and all of the theme parks down there. And uh, they're like walking 25 miles every day and coming back to the hotel dead tired. Uh, listen, if you're going to do something like that, take a couple of days where you don't do anything and rest before you come home. Um, get a real vacation, a true vacation, a, two a true time of rest. So God is establishing this, this measure of time. He's establishing the days. He's establishing a work and rest pattern. And so now we come. What about day-age creation or gap theory uh, creation? Um, and that's a really good question. What about them? Um, if we interpret Scripture literally, then there's no need to fear uh, evolution or make excuses for it. The Bible is clear on seven literal days. And uh, we'll answer this question as well. What other scripture would refute uh, any form of theistic creation or evolution? And so here is what I, I want us to understand. Um, God's establishing these patterns. Again, it's got to go back to asking the question, what is God doing? What is he establishing here? Um, this argument, day-age, uh, gap theory, this argument has really existence or existed since the early church fathers. There, there's evidence that the early church fathers argued over what the word day meant. Um, now, it became very popular in the mid-1800s. Why did it be start to become popular in the mid-1800s? Anybody know why? Darwin, right? Um, and Darwin came along and he began to observe um, and look at, at, at the world around him and he came up with a theory called what? Evolution. Um, and so he was trying to explain how things came into existence. Well, as scientists began to take that on and as rationalization, as uh, liberal thinking began to infiltrate society um, and science became the standard, there were those who began to cave into that theory because they wanted to try to make the Bible line up with what science seemed to be saying. Here's the thing. Does the Bible support the day-age theory? Did it take six literal 24-hour days to create the world 
uh, or six ages to create it. And uh, we've already talked about the, the Hebrew word for day. Um, and it can be used in a, uh, several different ways. It can, it can be used to describe time periods, uh, but it's usually time period with a sense of completion in the idea that it was used 1,800 times in the Old Testament as a 24-hour day. But it can refer, and it's also been used as eternity or perpetually, um, which can cause some debate. Um, the debate isn't so much, though, if that word means a 24-hour day or an age. Again, the question is, could God have created everything in six literal days? I, I would think so. He's God. He spoke these things into existence, at least by the account of Genesis. Um, God makes us a new creature, just like that, right? It doesn't take a thousand years to make us saved. Um, so could God have done it? Um, is a 24-hour day consistent with the text? Um, does the sequence in Genesis 1 make logical sense. Um, if, if you think about it, light, day, and night are created in day one, but as Eric reminded us, what didn't happen until day four? The sun, right? And you say, oh no, we've got a problem. How could plant life exist without the sun? Turn to Revelation. All right, Revelation 21. Revelation chapter 21. Look with me at verse 23. Well, let's read 22 for context. We, we know that James, or excuse me, John is looking at the new city, the new Jerusalem. And look at verse 21 or 22. And I saw no temple therein for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. And the city had no need of what? The sun. Now let me ask you, as, as we look at the description, and, and we're not going to dig all into the description of the, of the city and look at all the scripture, but... What exists in this new city? You remember that the throne has, has a river coming out of it. And what is alongside the river? Tree of life. And, and the, the implication behind it, the way it's structured in the, 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 the original language, would give us the idea that it's more than one tree. That, that it's multiple fruit trees. All right. God created plants to exist needing the sun, right? At least light. And now we have the new Jerusalem. We've got plant life there that God created. And what's happening? They didn't need the sun. Why? Look at what it says. And neither the moon to shine in it 
for the glory of God did lighten it, and the Lamb is the light thereof. Now, I don't know. We, 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 have, we, we can't prove what was created on day one and say that that was the light of God that was lighting the earth. Could it have been? It could have been. But we know that he created light and darkness and he separated those. Could plant life exist on day three? I think we see that it's existing in the new city and it's existing by the light of God himself. And so, um, again, we, we, we don't have to fear um, what we can find supported in the Word. Next is this. There's evidence in the text that specifically points to it representing a 24-hour day. Again, look at the end of verse 5. And the what? The evening and the morning were what? The first day. Look at verse 8. At the end of it, and the evening and the morning were what? The second day. Verse 13, verse 19, verse 23, verse 31. The term day is preceded by the evening and the morning, just like we talked about. And we see that these words, the word Hebrew word for uh, evening, never means anything other than evening, and morning um, 208 out of 209 times being used in the Old Testament, it only means morning. It's speaking to that period of time when the sun comes up. And so with 132 appearances of evening in the Old Testament, every time means night. So can it be consistent with it? I believe so, absolutely when we attach that evening and morning to that word day. I believe God is describing a 24-hour period because not only is, is He setting in motion everything to exist under His laws and establishment the way He designed it to be, but because, um, because we, uh, we are seeing um, a literal 24-hour period in that. Um, is it consistent with an objective interpretation of the scientific data? Um, here's the thing, beloved. When we look at the Scripture, I want you to understand this. For years and years and years, men have contradicted the Scripture by archaeology and by science. And do you know what happens time after time? Oh, Christians hear it and they'll shudder in their boots. Oh, I can't believe science seems to be contradicting the Scripture. Or archaeology says that the Hittites never existed. Guess what? The Hittites were found. Archaeology dug them up. And we found evidence of the Hittites that, 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 that archaeologists and historians said never existed. And the truth is, in science we've seen the same thing. And so don't fear science. God's truth is God's truth. And what He speaks, we may not understand it. It may not be scientifically provable. But you know what? There are things still existing that are not scientifically provable or even consistent with each other. 
when you look at macrophysics and microphysics, they don't match up. The laws are different. And you know what I believe God does? He sits back and he chuckles at man. Because man is trying to come up with all of these crazy ideas as to why it doesn't. And, and you know, not that God doesn't want man to figure it out. I think he put us here uh, with curious minds to, to research and explore all the wonders of his creation. But I think God chuckles sometimes at what we come up with. Um, think about this. Think about this. It's only recently that scientists began to realize, now, listen to me all the way through. I'm not being a proponent of evolution here. I'm just stating some fact uh, about what scientific research has done. It's only recently that they began to realize how incredibly fast the Big Bang occurred. Now, you remember the, the Big Bang in school, um, all of this matter came together and this big bang happened and and evolution began to take place things began to fall into place and and we won't go into all of that how crazy it is to think that that this incredible order that we see in this universe came out of absolute confusion came out of an explosion i mean it it doesn't it doesn't match the laws of physics they they've got to jump through hoops to do that but they're just now realizing or understanding that the Big Bang occurred quickly, which may prove consistent, get this, with the earth being formed in one day. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that strange? But, but even secular physicists can't agree on the correct interpretation of the data. And Christian scientists, too, are at odds. Some look at fossil and ge uh, geological records and see millions of years. Others look at it and see the flood. All right, let me ask a question, okay? I think sometimes we, we want to be um, so apologetically complex that we, we, we step all over ourselves, all right? But let me ask a question. How old was Adam when God created him? <laughs> One day old. <laughs> yeah. But, but what did he look like? Yeah. Now, did he have a belly button? That's the question. <laughs> All right. <laughs> you can debate that at home tonight later. But... He didn't create a baby. He created a man fully intelligent and capable enough to sit down and name all of the animals. You know, this was a man who had it together. And so if we looked at Adam the day after creation, how old is he? One day old. But how old does he look? Yeah, it looks like he's... He may be in his 20s, mid-20s, maybe mid-30s. I mean, if he's in the peak of his life, he's right at 50, right? That's the absolute <laughs> peak. Um, but, but he was a mature, created being, okay? Let me ask this question. And, and, you know, it goes back to the question, which came first, the chicken or the egg? Well, that's easy. How did God create creation? 
You know, when you look at the chicken, the day after creation, how old is the chicken? One day old. But what does it look like? Full-grown chicken. Okay. Now, we don't know if there were mountains, but, uh, you know, you, you, you look at um, the, the plant life. What did it look like? Uh, just stop and think. How could the, the honeybee survive if God just created a little seedling and, and, and we had to wait months or weeks for that creation to grow? How could the honeybee survive? Couldn't. You see, see what's going on with that? If we, if we just think about this, I think that it's, it's very easy for us to look at what is written in Genesis chapter 1 and say, you know, 24-hour days make sense because God is involved. We don't have to, to say, oh, it took a thousand years for every day because Peter says a thousand years is a day and a day is, is a thousand years with the Lord. Listen, beloved, we see so much order. There's no way theistic evolution, uh, God, the, the God just set it in motion. No. He spoke it into existence. Is literal 24-hour day consistent with Scripture as a whole? Um, does it have a bearing on theological beliefs expressed in the rest of the Bible? Does it matter? I believe it does. Why? A literal 24-hour day is the only scenario that's consistent with the commentary on the fall of man. And I ask this question at the end of the phrase on the screen. What other scripture would refute any form of theistic evolution? What does Romans 5.12 say? Wherefore, as by one man, who? Adam. What entered into the world? Sin entered into the world. And what by sin? Death by sin. So that death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. We see Paul later referring in chapter 8 to creation, looking forward to what? The redemption and creation is groaning, looking forward to the redemption. Why? Because creation has been affected by sin. And so if we will think about it again and we look back at all of these fossils and people are going, well, I don't see animals like that today. And boy, these are some strange fossils. And well, what about, uh, you know, what about this and that? And they're testing it as millions and millions of years old. Did God create Adam to look old or older? Yeah. Um, could God create this earth with maturity and age when he spoke it into existence? Yes. But what had to occur if there were thousands of years and that's where the fossil records come from? Death had to happen. Death came by sin. And so now we, we, have, we, we have a lot of, of theological hoops to jump through to get to that point. But I, I believe it's just that simple when we look at Scripture. It's a 24-hour day. The, the best way to interpret, I believe so. 
I know that there are, there are men who would disagree. But I think as we look at it, as we ask the questions, as we look at God establishing foundations, we can look at this. And even with these three questions that we've asked, we, we can establish that it was six literal days and God rested on the seventh. And so um, I'm going to stop there because if, uh, if I don't, we're going to go into a, a whole new uh, foundation and uh, I don't want to go into that, but I hope this has is, is stirred your thinking. I hope it's helping you uh, as you process through. Um, what I want us to do as we go through this study, when we, boy, when we get into uh, chapters um, like 8 through the end, um, we'll have a good grasp on where sin came from and an understanding uh, what God is doing as uh, He's working through the book of Genesis. All right? Any questions? In fear and trembling, I ask that. I might have to say, I don't know. We'll talk about it next week. But any questions? Wow. I, I, I explained it that well. Everybody's all on the same page, right? All right. Let's, uh, let's, let's pray and we'll be dismissed. Lord, thank you for your word. Lord, as, as we look at it, um, Father, help us to, to learn. Help us to grow. Um, Lord, help it to challenge us. Um, Lord, help us, as we look at this, to see the greatness of who you are. And then, Lord, as we look at it, too, help us to see not just a God of power and, and judgment and wrath, but a God of love and mercy and grace. A God who created things perfect and man messed it up and now steps in and takes the broken things and fixes them. Lord, we thank you that you love us that much, that you would take a broken world, you would take a broken man, and you would love him so much that you would offer him a way to fix his brokenness. And it only comes by your love, your mercy, and your grace. And Lord, we look forward to seeing you at work in, the, in, in all of this as we go through it, the lives of people. May it be a blessing to us and an encouragement to us as we move forward in Jesus' name. Amen.